0: if i was a vegan or vegetarian i would be the fattest guy alive i would be eating just crazy amounts of nuts and seeds and did they call
1: it the anabolic diet no i followed one like that and all i got was fat i can't remember (laughs) i may not have followed it right yeah (laughs) It's been a long time, we are back to what has been historically called the Ballistic Strength Radio Podcast, but who knows, maybe that'll evolve over time here, because I haven't done an episode in a while, and I don't know, I feel like maybe I've lost my focus. Uh, So maybe we'll just have to change it to the Shits and Giggles Podcast or something. It's not a bad name. Um, I've got with me today Adam Mackay. That's
0: correct, you Mm. got it.
1: Nailed it. There we go. Uh, and uh, we did a episode, uh, r- fairly recent in terms of the, the the episode listing, but not so recent to go in actual chronological time. Um, and we talked about your bodybuilding background, and we talked a little bit about coaching and, and a bunch of stuff like that. And today, we're pretty much just going to shoot the breeze.
0: I'm totally open to that. I mean, there's no shortage of things to talk about, especially right now, you know, it's may 31st 2020 you know we're kind of at the tail end of this covid thing that's been going on and pandemic world, mm-hmm. globally so
1: has I, it a, do you feel like it's affected you much?
0: well I mean as, as an individual? a self-employed personal trainer um, definitely for sure mm. as, as far as you know working in a commercial space and those facilities shutting down, And also, you know, with the clients that I work with online, losing access to the gym facilities, wherever they may be training, there's been a huge impact for sure. Also previously beforehand, I think this is probably quite common for a lot of personal trainers, coaches and entrepreneurs, but I was getting really caught up in the, I'm going to say yes to everything, which resulted in me working, you know, these seven, seven day weeks, you know, upwards of, you know, 60 to 80 hours per week. Mm and there was no sign of that stopping and in all honesty i was looking for more like where where can i where can i do more so my work life balance was very skewed um and this whole pandemic has really given me a chance to kind of like sit back and be like okay what's important to me moving yeah. forward and that kind of a thing so as I mean, it has
1: for everyone i'm sure
0: as for sure i mean like for yourself as well i mean how has it affected you not at all. <laughs> well, I mean, you're, I mean, Sally, you've got a, a five or six five, She's month, five month old now. Five month um, old baby, so probably well timed for you. Uh,
1: probably the big difference work wise for us is that you definitely actively seek out places to pick up uh, hours, and um, you're for the most part a subcontracted trainer. I guess we might I would say. say
0: that's 50%. The, the okay. other 50% is the, you know, guiding people through, like, it doesn't matter where they're training, but just oh, okay. guiding a person through development Yeah, and they can execute that wherever they may be. But,
1: okay. So 50% very much independent and then 50% kind of staking your claim. Maybe we'll say at other, uh, establishments and that sort of thing. And sure. um, whereas me i really don't actively seek out too much uh, work outside of the home i've i've i'm a pretty laid back dude in general probably to my detriment but uh i have been very comfortable just doing my thing here at least for the last several years mm-hmm. um that has changed slightly and and will change as of june 8th potentially um but yeah for me i mean my i, I didn't really work Uh, per se a lot of hours I mean I will do programming and stuff behind the scenes and that will take time obviously but hours of actual training and teaching and stuff like that very minimal so yes initially when we had to shut everything down that all stopped Um, but then I I'm a very I'm the kind of guy who whenever I see one door close I look for the next door to open And I was right on top of the online thing. And I'm like, I'm going to make this online thing happen. I'm going to figure out exactly what I need. And it might have been a week or two and I was, bam, fully online streaming. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Because it's also an interesting thing, too, when you think about, you know, for us as coaches and personal trainers, you know, it's our goal to develop a person, you know, get someone stronger, you know weight loss whatever the ki- whatever the person's goal is it's it's helping them to get there and then it's what's the best instrument what can we do to get a person from a to b and yes personal training's awesome but there's a lot of downsides to it if that's all you've got in your toolbox mm-hmm. if personal training's all you got it's very tough for a lot of people one to meet your scheduling demands because it's not like you're this person who's free all day every day and mm-hmm. some people have some very complex schedules so all of that there's the financial piece where personal training is very ex- can be very expensive for the average person and mm-hmm. if you want to see this person three or four times per week not everyone's able to budget for that there's a tons of reasons why it's tough if that's all you're utilizing where the great thing. I really hate the term online coach. I don't know why. I've got this negative stigma attached to, to that. Honestly, I have the same thing attached to the word fitness. Um, just don't really like those well, terms. But
1: I mean, do you think it has something to do with the? Um, I don't want to say the fact, but uh, there's such a huge contingent of really poor online coaches who take advantage of that online space and. Pretty much use their Instagram fame, so to speak. If I'll just throw a term out there, to then solicit clients, air quotes, um, so that they can then make money off of them.
0: Sure, and I do a hundred percent. But it's one of those things where I don't like self or, or I don't like to identify myself as an online coach because of that negative stigma, because of a lot of what's out there. And that's not to say that there aren't good online coaches. Obviously, there are. I've been a customer and I've used services from online coaches. It's just something weird in my own head about it,
1: but and it's and it's it's a challenging thing to actually execute the whole online code. There are obviously drawbacks,
0: for sure, for sure. I mean, in a perfect world, that nice balance between both, where you you're providing the online services, you know, that structured programming, that accountability through check ins, you know, you're communicating back and forth with the client. And you know, a lot of the times if you can get together periodically, whether that's once a month, but once in a while where you actually get together and you work on quality movements and you get that person, you know, squatting better, improving their mechanics is a huge asset. But again, I think that is a luxury where online is more cost effective for the person and overall you're, you're providing that whole, the whole picture, you know, the, the, with the programming, you can talk about nutrition if. Your client is as a person that wants to do that. and mm-hmm. So I really think that what you're doing is great. It's fantastic.
1: As far as oh, the online thing? For moving yeah. that way. and Well, and- but I will say that obviously when I did move online, there were only so many people who were willing to also make that leap with me. Um, so even though I started working at uh, comparable hours, my pay cut took like a 75% drop. So... Um, but as a strength coach or, and someone who is very invested in the individuals, um, you could look at that on paper and say, well, what's the point? And that I, I'm, I, I would imagine that you would feel the same, that that's not really where our mind goes, that we always know what the point is. And the point is, um, Having this sense of purpose and giving other people a sense of purpose to start from a point A and move to a point B and have that sense of accomplishment uh, that you get by going through that process. Um, And the money, obviously, we need to keep a roof over our heads. But if we're not really in control of how much money is really going to be coming in because of the whole COVID thing is like, what are you going to do? Sit there and cry about it. Just do what you do best. And um, at the very least, as long as you do what you do best, I'm a firm believer that um, you can build that foundation for something that's uh, monetarily feasible to live off of. Yeah,
0: absolutely. It's funny that you mention, you know, working the same amount of hours in the online space as opposed to, say, personal training or group fitness or all of that stuff and seeing a 75% Uh, reduction in your pay scale I would imagine that has something to do with the additional hours involved in launching getting something off the ground because again I I'm in I'm in both spaces very much and my income is is very like 50 50 like it's both and there's a lot more time spent with the personal training side as opposed to the online side when you're at home in front of your computer or whatever the case may be a lot can get done in that hour Mm -hmm. as opposed to that you know spending that one hour with the individual so I think that's probably a temporary thing for you where again you'll see that working the same amount of hours you know you might see your income double quadruple Mm -hmm. you know depending how what your goals are what your vision is for your business and and, in that way with less time involved once you've got your systems in place and you can just kind of uh, and run that way.
1: I should probably qualify and say that, um, predominantly I've been doing my whole bread and butter for the last several years has been classes as opposed to one-on-ones. Right. So, um, it, it, it definitely seems logical and an obvious step for me to move personal training online in that scenario. And it seems like, yeah, there's there, you can pretty much check most of the boxes, if not all of them, as far as personal training goes, except for having the luxury of being in that person-to-person space and being to being able to read people's um, behaviors and reactions, and then in the training space also being able to be there while they train and be able to fix their technique and stuff. Hundred um, percent. So there was just less overall uh, room, money-wise, uh, just. Because I was doing classes anyway, right. as opposed to the personal training, because we did obviously mention that personal training is more expensive. Um, and it's that whole thing is interesting to me, because initially when I started, I started as a personal trainer doing just one-on-ones, uh, six days a week, possibly seven days a week. <laughs> um, as you, Long days, split shifts, uh, that was l- just living and breathing that for three or four years, something like that. And that sort of burned me out a little bit. And on the tail end of that, I did start doing some classes when my uh, previous employer decided to expand and move to running some classes. So I started doing that. And I didn't really identify with um, being a group trainer. It was it was very new to me in terms of programming, you know, how logistically, how does this work training several people as opposed to training one? So, but now just out of necessity, after I moved here, um, obviously all my, my I wasn't doing any online training at that point, so I didn't carry any clients with me, um, and uh, I have I've had a f- like a handful of personal cra- personal training clients here and there, but for the most part, it's always been group training since I've been here. And and then when I started the kettlebell club in 2013, that was just sort of a natural fit as well, where it's like, okay, if I'm running this club, obviously it's sort of has not has to be, but it fits better with the club or the class dynamic. Totally. So I've evolved from being this personal trainer into a, into a a group class trainer. And I didn't think that was ever going to happen, but it's funny how, you know, as John Lennon says, uh, "Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans." I had this idea of what I was, this idea of this identity that I had, and what I was good at. But uh, life creates this necessity for you to adapt and evolve.
0: Agreed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It brings up an interesting point too. Just trying to add some value for you know people who are listening because I think this conversation might be. Although I'm very interested, I'm sure you're very interested, and other coaches that are listening might also be interested. But if you're a person who, you know, you, you, you're just thinking, you know, like, how does this pertain to me? I think it's an interesting subject when you start talking about, okay, so there is group fitness, there is online coaching, and there is personal training, and there's also just going to the gym and trying to figure stout, so, figure this stuff out on your own and trying to make that decision what's best for you. I know for me, like, I, I started off by just kind of going to the gym and trying to figure that out, and that was a long process and it's not one that I would suggest, like, if that's all you got, hey, that's a whole lot better than nothing. But I wouldn't put it at the top of the list of what's the best way to go about things, right? I'd probably put that maybe at the bottom. Group fitness is an interesting one because at least there's there's some structured program, there's a design, there's some purpose behind what's going on, plus there's some instruction, And when I say group fitness, I'm kind of thinking more traditional group fitness. Your classes with the kettlebell club, Mm. obviously a little bit more specialized. Yeah, I would assume, right?
1: Yeah, it's it's sort of it's not even that unlike going over to um, the Hercules weightlifting club, and they are all lifting together, even though they're following their separate programs. But all the programs coming from the same place. And there's this sense of we're all here for the same purpose and we're going to follow program and we're all pretty much going to start and finish at the same place by the end by the time this two hours is over. Um, obviously, there's more See, sort of queuing and coaching yeah. when I'm doing it. Um, but there is a general direction that we're headed and I understand that uh, there's, there's always only a handful of people who have specific personal goals as far as the kettlebell stuff goes. Yes. And then the rest are there just to work out. For sure. And I do try to give those people some purpose and direction, but I'm very much there for the people who want that purpose and direction. And so in that sense, it has lots of similarities to doing even just uh, the weightlifting style. Yeah,
0: for sure. For sure. So even there, right, you mentioned, you know, oh, you know, in the course of these two hours, you're going to, you know, finish this program workout. Even there again, that that's even more advanced is that it, what I think most people think when they hear group fitness. What I'm kind of more thinking when I hear group fitness is those 45-minute to one-hour classes. Usually, there will be names, things like hip cardio you know, total body blast, like those kind of more mm-hmm. bigger box or, you know, whatever. There's more traditional stuff.
1: I'm very much focused on the workout and, okay, let's, let's sweat and, it, yeah, burn and it's fa- you know, it's they might not pace. say it, but they'll yeah. say, but it'll be like burn a bunch of calories or, okay, totally. let's burn some fat, yeah. that sort of thing.
0: Exactly. I don't want to throw any, you know, local businesses under the bus, but yeah. it's one of those things where you have an instructor at the front of the room. They're usually doing the class along, along with you. So, you know, their attention isn't too much to anyone in particular. But anyways, those are great for the people that are on a time budget. They've got that 45, 60 minutes that they can afford in their day, and that's what they're going to do. But I also think a lot of people, a lot of people I see in group fitness don't belong in group fitness. Because a lot of these group fitness classes have things like, even things like a kettlebell swing. Kettlebell swing is something that is very technical. It, Although it looks okay, you know, you're just kind of swinging this bell in between your legs and, you know, it goes up to about, you know, mid-height, like above the chest or whatever the case may be, it's highly technical. Like, if you've never been coached on how to do a proper kettlebell swing, there's no way you're walking into that class day one and nailing that kettlebell swing.
1: Unless you're maybe 15 years old or younger. Right? It's It's when you look at uh, motor pattern development. Um, young kids do it best cause they are very aware of being able to re- react in their environment. Right. And that's kind of something that we lose as we get older. It seems
0: totally. I could definitely see an argument for that. I actually recently started working with some younger kids and I've actually seen the opposite where maybe it's just the, the maybe it's just the kids I've been exposed to, but that whole, body awareness thing especially if you've got like a kid who's you know 12 years old but Mm -hmm. he's six feet tall and you know those his limbs are so far away from his brain he doesn't know what's (laughs) going on that's
1: a whole new body from probably a year ago when he when he wasn't seven feet yeah
0: so mainly with spinal and hip hinging mechanics is the the areas i see the most trouble with Mm -hmm. but there again that's not specific to young individuals that no, everybody yeah,
1: exactly and it's interesting how some people uh, uh, uh exhibit those tendencies so these two brothers who come and train with their mom one of them is very extension dominant he's always just overextending and the right. other one is completely opposite just always over flexing and it's right. like we got to bring you guys in the middle somewhere can we just totally. like put you two guys and mold you together into one person
0: for sure right So even there again, so with group fitness, it's like a lot of people probably don't belong in those group fitness classes. I think group fitness is great. Again, you're on a time budget. You probably have a lot of experience working with either a coach or a personal trainer, but you've got your body mechanics down. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a great place for you there. But there again, I think most people are going to graduate beyond that. Unless your goal is only maintenance you know general health all of that and again you have some sort of background where you can understand some of these basic movements hip hinging proper squatting mechanics all of that kind of stuff and then you've got the two ones that are in my opinion like kind of worth talking about right like so group fitness okay sure i think we should put that kind of aside for most people i don't think it's the best you've got going to the gym and winging it again I think that's is although better than nothing, maybe not because for the,
1: for the average for the average person are we talking about
0: for the average for the person well, even myself okay. going to the gym and just winging it, right. sure it's great on a maintenance side of things, but if I want to progress, I can't stumble my yeah. way into. Yeah. Making any strength right. progress or any hypertrophy progress so, re- at this point.
1: relative to a higher goal, not the best
0: relative to progression. Relative period. to
1: progression. Um, now if it's a, a person who's just kind of again, like you said, there for maintenance, who doesn't really have that higher goal and not doesn't really have an interest in progression, um, yeah, again, I would say not the best, yeah, right? <laughs> they need there needs to they're always it's like school, you go to school to learn and then you go into the workforce. You don't start in the workforce and then decide, oh, should I go to school to learn about what I'm actually doing at work?
0: For sure. Right. Exactly.
1: Now, obviously there's some, I know people are going to jump in and be like, Hey, I never went to college and I'm in the workplace, but yeah. it's, I'm, that's not what I'm talking about.
0: No, for sure. But even if you look at school, keep it in
1: context, people.
0: Exactly. And even if you look at school though, right, you go to grade one, you learn your lessons and you progress to fa till grade two or, yeah, university you're yeah. a first year there's
1: a there's a systematic progression
0: for sure right so it's it's one of those things where i mean maintenance is cool but i mean for how long like i mean exercise is something that you're going to do for the entirety of your life it's not something you're going to pick up to get in shape and then once you've achieved this goal you put a, a aside the fact that people think that they can live a life without exercising blows my fucking mind maybe we mind. should
1: maybe we should say activity
0: activity sure For sure. Uh.
1: Because like sports and outdoor leisure stuff. Yes. Right? Um, I'm reminded of uh, who tweeted this out The Oh, it was uh, Stefan Guignet who said, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, we had a word for exercise, life. Totally. Right? Because it's it's that dose uh, uh, response demand thing where it's like, you know, you get a dose of stimulus and then you adapt to it. And whatever's happening in your life, that's the stimulus. So if your life demands that you're out there hunting an animal and bare feet with a spear, then, you know, that's a fairly active life. And, you you know, you don't have to worry about um, uh, getting obese or anything like that, right?
0: For sure. And that's so true. And then just shining that light on what's going on in 2020. I know for myself, especially COVID was a great eye opener. It's like, whoa, you know, I'm not working with clients Um, my even my workouts like my scheduled workouts it wasn't enough movement in a week like Mm -hmm. you know what I mean I I train with load with weights four days a week which is you know at the it's a that's about as much as I would want to train for the loads that I train with I actually had to fight my coach to get me to four days he wanted me at three Mm -hmm. so it's And there again, that goes. I find that a lot with these people who are going to the gym on their own. They get all excited. They get all hardcore. It's no days off. Seven days a week. Let's go, motherfuckers.
1: The great irony to me um, that has been with me for a long time is that the average person will come into the gym and say, "Oh, I'm not looking to do this or do that. I'm not looking to be a competitive athlete. I'm not looking to step on stage super ripped. I'm not. I'm not willing to do. I'm not. I don't want to do any of these amazing things." But they're always the people who don't know what the definition of quote balance" is totally. because they will always go balls to the wall. They they don't understand that big uh, performance requires big recovery. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's uh it's that's yeah, that's just always been a funny thing to me. And uh, but it's definitely something that I'm always learning about every day the whole overtraining and recovery aspect. And it's always something that I'm very conscious with with conscious of with my clients, um especially the ones who it seems when you read about things like overtraining and when we're just talking about good periodiz- periodization and and overall workload and volume and stuff like that that um it always seems like the, the, the books and the, and the articles on overtraining or periodization are always referring to the, the quote, athletes. So the ones who want to train a lot, but maybe don't know how to balance that out with their regular life. Whereas for me, at least, the majority of the people that I work with are the people who don't want to push a lot, but under recover. Right. if that makes sense. Yeah. And I was thinking about this last night, because I've been reading through uh, this sports psych book, and I just finished a chapter on overtraining. And it it, it does seem like that is the difference. Because I was like, I used to always say, you know, all you guys are athletes. If you're coming into the gym, you're an athlete, because you're here, we're working out, I'm teaching you concepts, and you're going to follow principles and progressions. Cool. But lately, I've been kind of thinking, well, are they really athletes? Like, what what qualifies them to sort of meet that those criteria? And some of the criteria, if I can just pull some up.
0: Yeah, no, please do. Uh,
1: that so were in this what, book. What, are we,
0: what do we got here in your hands here, so like, uh,
1: This is the Sports Psych Handbook by Shane Murphy. It's uh, published by Human Kinetics. How did um, you get
0: this in your hands? What 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 made you want
1: to? I'm always on the lookout for books like this, uh, either at Value Village or the book sales and stuff like that. This one's from 2005. Um, but I'm especially interested in sports psychology. Um, and I have for a while, but, uh, definitely that is growing even still my, my interest in that, but there was a few criteria that they were talking about here for athletes. Let me see if I can just pull it up.
0: Yeah. Well, you're gandering through that. Um, maybe I'll just mention there we've got, uh, I recently found a new coach, one of the best strength coaches in the world that I knew you would know and be well-versed oh, right, in his right, teachings. Yeah. Allow me to butcher his name. That's Pavel Tatsulin.
1: Uh, I believe it's Satsulin. Satsulin I, I believe Yeah, you have to start with of, the S.
0: Of strong first. And, man, I'm loving what he's all about. You so know, you stopped
1: a, eating chicken, though, right?
0: I did not. I think I increased... <laughs> I almost, I, Chicken I almost a went weak, on the, it's a weak bird. The, I almost went on the warrior diet that he's doing where you, <laughs> not that he's a proponent of the warrior diet, but you, yeah, I don't know if you know this, but at least for a period of time, he was only eating one meal a day Oh, okay. and he claims that he's an enemy of nutrition, um, which I, I love, I, I love how focused he is on strength and not a lot of the rest of us. I find that a lot of coaches and I'm guilty of this myself, but we're trying to be experts In all these different fields, whether, you know, nutrition expert, um, strength expert, conditioning expert, all of these different things, which are so different. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, synergistically, they work well together, but it's, it's you're it's you'd be hard pressed to say that you are an elite expert in three of these very complicated modalities at once.
1: And at the very least, it would take a lifetime to do. Totally. right. You'd have to spend a significant amount of years, maybe in school learning about some academic stuff, and then in life putting some stuff in practice, and then even evolving beyond that and sort of reflecting on all of that and and how that's going to change you moving forward.
0: Totally, yeah. Were you able to find the information you're looking for there? Yeah,
1: so uh, let me read the uh, introductory little uh, blurb here. Um, By studying peak performers, we begin to appreciate their balanced skills, attributes, and perspective. Charles Garfield, a noted performance expert, identified six attributes which relate to both competition and cooperation. These are two concepts that... They say are uh, inherently uh, necessary to uh, successful athletes. Um, So these six attributes that are common in people achieving excellence. Number one is a sense of mission. So that's basically that purpose thing that we've talked about. For sure. Uh, The second one is tremendous work ethic. This is the desire to be action-oriented. Number three is use of resources. So peak performers invest in their health, development, and recovery. So that to me is like, okay, what are the things that you're actively doing outside of the training session itself? Are you thinking about your recovery? Are you thinking about your nutrition? Are you thinking about uh, maybe watching video review and, and trying to hone your skills?
0: And Can you read that third one again? Not the entirety, but so I'm just trying to lock that down. So
1: use of resources. Use of
0: resources. Got it. Yeah.
1: Uh, Because I do have many clients who will come in (coughs) and they do their thing and they leave and they forget about... It's just... The only time they think about what they do here is when they're here. Totally. Right? Um, Number four, a strong preparation ethic. Superior preparation enables top performers to appreciate the big picture and be more creative, open, and focused under pressure. So, so far we've got sense of mission, tremendous work ethic, use of resources preparation ethic. Number five is a love of challenge and change. Enjoying challenge is a huge attribute. Looking forward to the process of succeeding rather than fearing failure. I love that. That's totally something that I'm, I very much live by, is uh, dramatically more effective and helpful to others as well. Um, that's a big hurdle I find for a lot of people um, is getting them past that barrier of always fearing failure and right. instead of, instead looking towards challenge and opportunity. Right. Uh, and the final one, number six is great team people, great performers recognize the importance of working with others and relating effectively. I'm reminded of a specific client who, who has been a, a great example of the opposite of this as of late. So I look at this list and I'm hard pressed to find, uh, any of the people who I work with, Who embody all of these, let alone embody at least one or two of these. Okay. So it got me thinking, is this the difference between an actual athlete and just the average person? Does an athlete have all of these attributes? I
0: would say Michael Jordan has all of those. (laughs) I would say, you know what I'm saying? To varying
1: degrees, like, right? Wait, wait. He probably has them in like 90 to 100%. I'm th- I am
0: think for that list, like, I'm thinking that, you know, if but Wayne Gretzky's you, got all You those.
1: have all of these. I have all of these. I know Rachel has most of these. Right. <laughs> not to throw her under the bus. Um, Sorry, Rachel. I mean, these, are, these are not extraordinary things. You know, do you have a sense of purpose? Do you think about... the 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 bigger the thing that's bigger than you what's that thing that's driving you forward and that's a
0: thing i'm constantly afraid that i'm not that i don't have that on the list like when it says tremendous work ethic i'm like oh my god i'm the laziest person that was ever born and i hate it like i'm so but you
1: got it where it counts yeah i think that's subjective though i mean and it's it's a relative. So one of the things that that I had to acknowledge early on as a coach as a trainer is that sometimes as a trainer you're working with a client and you're so consumed with you need to give me what I need as a trainer right now because this is my job and I'm only fulfilled if you are if you are checking this box this box this box and this box meanwhile you have to recognize that Nutrition is not their top priority. Training is not their top priority. They have a life outside of the gym. For sure. And it's great if they can incorporate this, but it's not their priority the way that it is our priority.
0: 100% agree. And it's interesting there. Again, meeting people where they're at. Like, for one, Emma, I believe in coaching. I love coaching. I have coaches for everything. Like, I have a strength coach. I have a nutrition coach. I have a uh, business coach. i like got coaches. Um my my nutrition coach I have a lot of respect for he is a very smart man he has done a lot in his for himself and for his clients when I started working with him I don't know if he had too much faith in me or or thought I was um i don't know just just thought I was better than i turned I don't want to say I think
1: we always hope for this as coaches like I hope you're going to do everything to the T. Yeah. So I'm going to program as though that's the case.
0: Totally. Right. And <laughs> and that's an interesting one. Right. So I get my 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 you know, he's awesome. I, I can kind of, I got a couple different ways I can approach it. You know, he delivers that meal plan and I can follow that. Here it is. This will work. No thinking required. Eat what's on here and you're good. Or, you know, here's some more macro calories, fiber goals. Mm -hmm. You can go about whichever way you want. And I go and it's just like, this was so perfect, but so far away from my COVID lifestyle (laughs) of just being lazy. And I found out about Skip the Dish, worst thing I ever did. The app's terrible. Delete it if you got it. It's a life ruiner. And uh, that... I couldn't just flip, I shouldn't say I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't flip a switch mm-hmm. from what I was doing to this, they were, those two things were just too far apart, mm-hmm. and so, again, no slight on my coach, he, I think he did the right thing, but it would have been probably a little bit more successful if we took a, you know, I was pretty open with a hey man, like, what I'm, was I'm you, What off. was your
1: goal during this?
0: weight loss. So, okay. so, for me, I was peaking for a powerlifting meet for March 22nd. Okay. COVID hit. We had our shutdowns mid-March, which was about 1 week to the day before my powerlifting meet. So that that got scrapped. I had peaked for it. That ended up being probably an okay thing because in peaking for that meet, I started kind of get some shoulder stuff and I probably would have went to that meet, went YOLO and who knows what would have happened. I could have mm-hmm could have messed myself up. So silver lining there, but you know, in, in pursuing strength at all costs, which with no real concern on where I fit into weight class, um, I could put on some body fat, you know, I also put about a hundred pounds on my squat, 90 pounds on my deadlift, 60 pounds on my bench press. So I got strong Mm -hmm. in about in a nine month period of time. I, I made huge strength gains, but with that came body fat and, now i'm at a point where okay if i keep pursuing strength you know i'm gonna i'm gonna get to an unhealthy body fat level Mm -hmm. like right now i'm okay but i'm uncomfortably big um so it's time to don't you hate that yeah for sure
1: and it's and you have a um you grew up heavier as well
0: totally so there's always that mindset right
1: whenever you look in the mirror you always see the fat kid
0: Oh, for sure! Yeah, like I'm the same. I'm sweating right now. I'm wearing a sweater. <laughs> not taking this video off. And you know, it's 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 June tomorrow, and it's like again, it's it's hard it's hard to imagine. Like, oh, I'm gonna be at the beach in the river swimming around with no shirt on. It's like, oh man, like I'm supposed to be this coach, personal trainer, champion, bodybuilder, all of that thing, yeah. and I feel like I have this image that I need to live up to, but. And, you know, and then it's like, hey, like, yeah, I've got this like extra, you know, 30, 40 pounds and it's, I am, it's hard for me to show up to the world and, and, and be vulnerable with that and, yes. and to accept that maybe everyone will be okay with that. Like, it's like, I feel like I have this image to live up to Absolutely. That, that's challenging. And those are my own barriers and walls that I've built. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, it's quite interesting.
1: Yeah. Um. Has the power now? Are you are, when when was are you still powerlifting right now?
0: Um I am pers- are, like so I've hired my powerlifting coach back. Okay. Uh when COVID hit, I took a temporary break from that. Um but I did hire him back again almost out of necessity like hey like I'm kind of getting depressed. Like I want some goal. Maybe I shouldn't say depressed because I don't want to throw that term around lightly for those people that do actually suffer from depression. I just wasn't feeling like a winner. (laughs) Uh, Winning. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't Charlie Sheening. So um, again, hired him back. And I am pursuing strength again.
1: How far away are you from your uh, powerlifting peak?
0: Right. That's a great question. Well, for one, I'm rehabbing my shoulder. What I have going on with my shoulder is very minor, but I would like for it to not become something that is actually a real issue.
1: So I would say... So you are purposely limiting yourself with the upper body, which is probably annoying as hell. Yeah. You want to... You want to train hard and at a certain volume and you, and you know, you shouldn't. So you're not, and that's like, yeah.
0: Yeah. To throw some real numbers out there, like right before shutdown, I, I bench pressed 315 pounds. I squatted 485 pounds and I deadlifted 500 pounds. And last week, um, I was squatting 335 pounds as compared to 485 pounds, mind you, it was for significantly more reps. Right. Um, bench press 215. So,
1: okay. Um, Do I'll, you feel good about your strength right now?
0: I feel, at first, when I hired my coach back, it was it was kind of a little. There was no surprises. Like when I came back, I expect I knew I wasn't going to be where I where I was the, and it wasn't a long period of time. Seven weeks prior. Um, so there was no real surprises there, but there again, when you're getting back into the swing of things, there's always that barrier of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not where I used to be, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, yeah, yeah, and all of that, but I've been through it enough that it's like, Oh, you know,
1: would you say that you're stronger than your bodybuilding self? hundred percent. Okay. So yeah. here, here's the thing that I'm like gradually way, getting to. Way,
0: way stronger.
1: Okay. So significant.
0: Sig- very significant. Not even in the same ballpark.
1: So I'm, I... I I think about this this one thing where it's like people are going to struggle with either how heavy they are or maybe how weak they are or 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 maybe they have certain uh, PRs or uh, strength and conditioning goals they want to hit but they come up short or this or that. Um, but pr- probably I'll, I'll I'll center on this mostly on the topic of like um, body weight and the question that I have started to think more about asking is. What is, the, what is the body fat level that you will be happy with? Even if it's not what, let's say we set a goal, okay, you want to lose uh, 20 pounds of like, fat weight on this program. If we don't get to 20, what is the level that you will personally be happy with? And the, the deeper question from that is, with you right now, you're, you're heavier than you want to be, but is that attenuated somewhat by how much stronger you are?
0: For sure, in my case specifically, it's it's a uh, there's two ways to look at it. Y- yes, again, I'm a big habits and behaviors over results guy. It's like sure, you got goals, you gotta uh, you want to lose 15 pounds, you want to squat 500 pounds, whatever the case may or um, sorry those things, and then but then there's the habits and behaviors that get you there, and I always tell my clients, you know, results are fickle, especially when it. When, pertains to fat loss for women um women are very different in the in the sense you have to take their menstrual cycle into consideration so you almost have to track on a monthly basis as opposed to a weekly basis and and there's some stuff that goes on there but if we can focus on improving your habits and behaviors the results are inevitably going to be there so are
1: you telling me that you can't get something from nothing
0: i guess so who who would have thought right but if we focus on the results that can be defeating especially if you're you're doing these weekly weigh-ins and you feel like you you worked so hard but you're actually up a pound on the scale oh what am I doing mm-hmm. it's over it's like so I don't celebrate results like good results with my clients or I should say I cautiously celebrate good results because you don't want to get on these super highs like yeah I lost 2 pounds And then the next week and you're on cloud nine, you feel great. Everything's awesome. But then next week you gain that two pounds and now you're Mm -hmm. depressed. Your whole week's blown. I'm a failure. I'm a loser. Mm -hmm. So again, let's focus on your habits and behaviors. Let's celebrate little changes and improvements in those. The results are inevitably going to come.
1: Yeah. You got to trust in the process. Totally. Right. And that probably is a barrier for people. They have a hard time putting sure. that trust into something outside of, yeah, outside of very short-term things. And that what you're talking about is a very preeminent concept in sports psych. Is you know try to be more process-based, less outcome-based. Totally.
0: So as that pertains to your question of, you know, I'm gaining weight and I'm getting stronger and all that stuff. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not proud of my nutritional habits and behaviors mm. within that process. You know, if I gained 30 pounds um of body fat or let's say just 30 pounds of body weight, muscle fat, all of it. Um and I was hammering, you know, steak and rice and veggies and you know, eating six meals a day, 3 hours apart, all of that. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I'd be I would say I love it. Like I don't care. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But when it's hey, you know, I'm so busy working, all of this stuff, I'm going to get a large pizza on the way home just because I need these calories, mm-hmm. that kind of a thing, which is what it actually was. There was a lot of that. Now it's like, well, I'm not proud of how I got here. So it's it's that, right? Yeah. I'm not proud of my habits and behaviors, so I can't be proud of the results.
1: Um, one of the things that, that I have struggled with, and I think that Rachel tends to struggle with this a fair bit, because Rachel is a very active person, and... Um, intuitively like she will outwork me to death right like she she
0: she's 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 got the fire
1: there were stretches where she would be in the gym at like 5 a.m just like pounding out kettlebell and i'll be in bed and be like oh what the frig is that pounding it's the bass from the music coming through the wall into the bedroom like can you please turn the bass down um and then she'll do her like 10 12 hour work day and she'll just do that day after day after day after day I don't day. know what
0: it is man I know a uh, Canada Shule a fantastic coach personal trainer She's the same man. Like she's just got it.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think about lions in that instance where you have female lions run the, run the show. They're the <laughs> ones feeding the pride. They're the ones working Yeah, yeah. male lions. They're just, sleeping. we're in the,
1: sh- we're in the shade, shade dude.
0: resting. If another male lion comes in, we're going to get up and growl and maybe get in a fight. But
1: yeah, maybe we're not that or we'll crack a beer. We're not
0: really that essential to the process.
1: <laughs> um,
0: but the women, man, like, power to you. Like, I, I've seen so – I know some women with some incredible work ethic that just, again, makes me feel like the most lazy person in the
1: world. <laughs> it's relative. Um, and uh, and she will also follow the programming to a T. Like, she when she was – when she would do those long stretches, she'd be following the programming i give her and just, like, she'd be doing everything to the T, just following to the T. And she works really well when she has that guiding compass and she'll just go. Um, but the point I'm getting at here is that, especially with someone who is that driven to be active and has this idea in their head of, okay, I'm an athlete and I want to perform at my best, I find that we in that space, we struggle with always trying to eat the feed the machine, which makes balancing the goal of um, ideal body composition really challenging because it's hard for us to not be like, oh, I'm going to work out later. I better get that food in. Otherwise, I'm going to crash during my workout, which may or may not be true. Um, but it's it's hard to meet. Obviously, those are, I don't want to say counterintuitive goals, but body composition can come at the cost of performance and vice versa. But um, I find that, uh, yeah, I just find that the higher the level you get, the more body fat you could inevitably put on um As in in, to, in the off season right, per se right, yeah, yeah, uh just because you you just you feel like you need to keep eating to feed this machine, you don't wanna feel like you can't perform, and so you eat almost prophylactically, um, so I've gotten personally more into the habit of of taking advantage of dedicated rest days where it's like, okay, my instead of having a performance goal today, my goal today is gonna be to uh come in under this a uh, certain amount of calories if oh, the interesting. If, if the overall umbrella goal for this period is to manage my body composition um obviously you know i want to i want to pre- I, I, sorry to interject i thought you yeah. may have gone the other way where you were going to say my goal
0: here is to recover i'm on a recovery day so i'm going to sit on the couch I'm gonna do my work from my computer, and that
1: is exactly. And
0: I'm gonna eat. Like I, oh. th- I thought maybe that was a higher right. calorie day because right. you're legitimately your goal is recovery. I want to do the, all of the anabolic activities, mm. eating food being one of the the greatest anabolic right. activities, especially for natural athletes.
1: Yeah, um, it's it's interesting. There's two schools of thought on that, right? Because there's oh, maybe not two schools of thought, but I think it's they are two. Um, I don't think that they are mutually exclusive. Exclusive, um, You could go either way. But there are the people who like to eat more on their training days and the people who will eat more on the off day. Um, and I think both are logically sound. It's like, okay, obviously you want to eat for performance and then eat lighter on a day that you're not training. Or you could go the opposite way where you kind of eat at maintenance on your training day or whatever. And then maybe eat more on your recovery day. Yeah.
0: There's so many ways to go about it, you know. Yeah. What I mean, what I find a lot of my athletes like is kind of going on a more aggressive. This is for those that want to have weight loss, or you know, maybe they're got bikini competitions. Um, it's pretty much my compete bikini girls that are that seem to like this, um, but they'll go on a quite a significant deficit from Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. and then Saturday is. You know they've saved up all this money in the, or all this currency in the form of calories and macros right. that they're going to go out and splurge, air quotes, on Saturday with. So And we're not talking out of control, but we might see what once was 125 grams of carbs jump all the way up to 300 grams of carbs on this one day. Mm-hmm. Then Sunday is kind of a tailor back down day where it's higher. You're probably at around maintenance that day. So, heavy surplus Saturday, maintenance Sunday, pretty significant deficit Monday to Friday. And that allows some variability. You know, your time in the deficit is kind of this obtain like, you know, it's this 5-day period where you can kind of wrap your head around it and look forward to the Saturday. Mm-hmm. Cuz I've done the approach where you're just constantly in a little bit of a deficit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're not suffering. But you're never, you know, if that deficit goes 6, 8, 12, 14, 16 weeks, that's a long time to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. as opposed to five days being uncomfortable. So it is interesting. Yes. Yeah. How many different ways there are to approach this and how they're all great, mm-hmm. but what works for you?
1: Yeah. Um, I will, like right now, I'm just on the isocaloric sort of, it's trying to stay under eighteen hundred. So that's that, fucking crazy. That may tend to go above or Good below for you. <laughs> it's, it fucking sucks, man.
0: Dude, my coach is trying. My nutrition coach has me at just under two grand. But before I was with him, I was around four. Like, and mm. so going from four to two, it's like, man, that's uncomfortable. It, it's yeah. very that actually really helps me knowing <laughs> you're around eighteen because that yeah. just that that's crazy to me.
1: Um. And I do try to take advantage of days where I'm not hungry. And this is something that I do recommend to um, some of my female clients who have been sort of deep into their, uh, not super deep into their cut, but it's like, you know, if you have a day where you're not hungry, take advantage of that. And we will track that and then, you know, uh, that can afford us a few extra calories on another day.
0: When you are hungry.
1: When you are hungry, right? So I really try to pay attention to those cues, but um in general, like I've been I've been I've I've been interested in nutrition, I've tracked food for a long time. And I do know my way, way around which foods contain how many calories and this and that, and I'm very good at eyeballing things. Although I do tend to find that, and and this is preeminent in the literature as well, is that we will tend to underestimate how many calories that we are eating as high as 70%. of of our intake yeah and it's it's convenient for me to think that that's not the case with me because i'm a professional and i'm an expert but i think my room for error there has got to be at least 30 percent fair because and at least you're honest about yeah i always i feel like I, i i feel like i can know when i'm eating 18 but obviously I don't because I've been on 18 for a while now, actually tracking it through my fitness pal. And I have seen steady progress for the last couple months. Yeah. And it's obvious then that I was nowhere close because it wasn't <laughs> working before. Yeah. But this is what I really like about tracking. It just it helps me feel like I'm focused like I'm on track. And if, at the end of the day in particular, there's always that question in my head when I start to kind of get the munchies. It's like, oh, I probably have enough calories for this. I'll eat yeah. this. And there's always that little um kind of ball of stress in my chest when, when that moment happens, which isn't there when I'm tracking it through my fitness pal. Because when I know, when, even if I don't have the room, it's like, okay, at least I know. And I can accept the the quote consequences um, if I decide to eat over calories and I, I just want to say that you know it's even if you're on you know a program where maybe you're just doing it yourself maybe you don't really have something that you're working towards per se it's perfectly fine to go over your calories every now and then it's not a big deal don't stress over it that's that's really the key thing don't stress over it if you're willing to accept the fact that you know, today I'm willing to eat a little more, chances are, and I found this personally and through clients as well, chances are that you may be less hungry tomorrow, Totally, especially depending on how much you overeat. And so I also, in that sense, take a varied approach in how I distribute my calories from day to day, even though I'll be isocaloric, so 1800 day to day, how I eat those calories across the day will change. And that really helps me deal with where my hunger pangs sort of crop up
0: totally well that's one question i have is how are you achieving those i mean obviously you're gonna have your macros as well that you're paying attention to for those that may not know it's not just about calories it's where those calories coming from um how are you doing that because again when i got my uh my coach gives me this thing here there you got the 1950 calories The meal I was coming from a place where I was eating about two or three meals a day, which is non-typical for me, like bodybuilding history, all of that stuff, five, six meals, all of that per day. Uh, So going right into the meal plan wasn't possible for me mentally because I'm a guy that's currently making time to eat two or three times a day. This meal plan has me eating five times a day. I'm not able to make that adjustment with the snap of my fingers. So through tracking... I built my own meal plan based off of his guidelines and I found, oh man, like two meals and I'm done. Like I'm like, you know what I mean? Two Mm -hmm. or three and I'm hitting those macros. You know, if I want to use this amount of rice, this amount of chicken, this amount of, you know, butter or whatever the case may be, I'm getting those macros too easily. You know what I mean? So how are you, I'm very curious just for my own, how many meals are you eating per day to get that?
1: Um, again, taking a very varied approach. Um, I don't even think I have any prepped meals in the fridge right now. Um, actually that reminds me, I probably need to do some meal prep today. It's
0: Sunday. Meal prep day, guys. It is Sunday. Meal prep Sunday. Uh,
1: for me, it's usually Wednesday, interestingly enough. I tend to do a bit of baking and stuff, like I'll make some muffins and... Or something. Or I make like this uh, oatmeal bake. Yeah. Which is really good. See,
0: there's a skill that you have that's hard because it's something that you've built over years of professionalism. And it's it's that self, uh, why am I struggling with the words? But you're able to. Did you go to school? (laughs) Exactly. There you go, man appreciate that (laughs) it's you are able to kind of just almost wing it and use the skills that you've built up over time that you can make these decisions you know what i mean where someone coming in fresh isn't going to have that experience they almost Mm. need those more narrow guidelines where there isn't a lot of critical thinking needed they can just kind of execute you know what i'm saying
1: and this is where when i Uh, put a lot of stock in seeing what people are already doing um, meal-wise or habit-wise because there are those clients who you take a look at their seven-day initial uh, food journal when you start with a client and you're like, you are all over the place. You literally do not eat the same thing from day to day, which is actually very odd because most people are creatures of habit and they will literally eat the same thing every day. And, And again, another one of the great ironies is that People love having the sense of choice, even if they don't use that choice. Uh, people actually are very hesitant to to actually make choices, if you look at the psychology behind that, but they always want, we'll say, the illusion of choice, or the illusion of freedom. So, uh, when you put someone on, a, on like a meal plan, they get the sense that they're losing that freedom, because now they can't just sort of eat whatever they want. Um... But uh, yeah, so when I start with a client, it's if someone is already eating sort of like a regular – they have a pattern, that's perfect because that's a framework that I can build off. If there's anything that needs to be tweaked per se, um, then we can do that. But for the most part, if that's, the, if, if that's what their meal – a strategy is like then i mostly keep that the same and maybe if we just need to top something up here or there or maybe there's a few suggestions we can make but when someone literally puts like no thought into what they eat day to day and you can see that in their food log that's when you need to do like a complete overhaul at least in terms of like education at the very least like hey what are you trying to achieve with your with your daily meals and nutrition they probably their answer will probably be well i don't know
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so we just want to get them thinking more about that okay well what are your goals and and you can educate them as to, you know, uh, carbohydrates, glycogen, protein, this and that, what they're sort of for in the body and, you know, when they're important for whatever your goal is. So it's very different from person to person. And for me, I would say just off the cuff in terms of like what I would normally think of how many meals I would eat in a day would be five. But really, it's probably like three and snacks. But I always have an idea when I wake up in the morning of what I sort of want that day. Right. Um, And so I will kind of plan for that in the back of my head, but I will use the food tracker to keep me honest about it. Totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. What are you finding? Like uh, for myself, you know, looking at people's nutrition and all of that stuff for at least with the populations I'm working out, there seems to be almost like one thing that sticks up above all else. And that is people are really under eating protein. Like usually I'm seeing quite, decent amounts of like carbs and fats people aren't reporting fats too low carbs aren't too low they're not obsessively high in most cases but one thing that is almost consistent with almost 100% of the females I work with is protein is almost at a scary level of of low
1: so these would be athletes
0: um, everyone everyone yeah, this is this is this is true. To 100%, with the athletes, I would say it's usually not as bad. So So the general population. Are we
1: talking about below 1.2 gram per kilogram body weight? Much lower. Much lower? Yeah, we're (laughs) Like below the RDA?
0: Like we're we're talking like 30 grams per day, I've
1: seen. Like Like consistently? Yes. I've seen that from day to day, but...
0: Well, yeah, I've seen like one individual in particular, her highest day was 50 grams, her lowest day was 15 grams. Now... (sighs) how accurate is Uh, your tracking, all of these other things. But, you know, even seeing that, it's just like, oh, wow. Like, how did you even obtain such low levels of protein?
1: Uh, How did they?
0: You know, I don't have it in front of me, but (laughs) she wasn't a vegetarian or anything like that. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it was quite scary.
1: And, you know, some people have a natural aversion to... Obviously, the, the dominant source of protein in a given omnivore's diet will be from meat um not exclusively but predominantly uh but there are people and I have some clients who have an aversion to eating animal products even though they're not vegetarian per se the the thought of meat it just kind of turns them off
0: totally which is super trendy right now
1: yeah so um i i think that's where we can really shine as coaches where it's like okay Instead of being the cookie cutter guy, where it's like you need to do this thing this way, it's like okay, let's flex our uh, our coach muscles and our nutrition muscles and be like, okay, how do we solve this problem of not enough protein with without just defaulting to the usual? oh, you need to eat more chicken breast.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it is an interesting one, like uh, to navigate around, because if you're a person who again, if if you're a vegetarian or vegan or any of these things. I'm I'm probably not the guy to work with as far as let's get your nutrition in order. Probably best working with a registered dietitian, someone with some serious background and knowledge in in creating these these plans, uh, because it can be quite challenging for sure. I, I find you know how do you get these decent amount this decent amount of protein without getting carbs to this like just crazy. Or, enough... or just
1: even calories in general. Well, that's just it, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, for sure. To, again, using that number, that 1.2 grams per kilogram without having carbohydrates, you know, at you know, 500 grams and then of course calories or this. That's no. a
1: dreamer bulk right there.
0: Right? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. I always said that if I was a vegan or vegetarian, I would be the fattest guy alive. I would be eating just crazy amounts of (laughs) nuts and seeds and carbs, like just to like try to get like enough protein would be a pretty good life. Actually.
1: What's the weirdest might not be the right word, but what's the most oddball diet approach you've done in the past?
0: You know, uh, not a nothing nuts, nothing too crazy. Again, I've been fairly fortunate with the folks and populations I work with, so I haven't had to deal with any real like.
1: I mean, you personally.
0: Keto. Oh, myself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I I did. I tried some carbs... <laughs> this is
1: gonna be great because you're like, oh, my clients are they've never been weirdos, but I've done all the I've weird stuff. I've done some
0: weird stuff. Uh, I did I did some carb backloading before, which is kind of where you you you're almost you're eating very little to no carbohydrates. Um, except for after your workouts where there's a short window of time where you kind of go carb ham. I also went on a very low or a no-carbohydrate diet but high fat, very similar to keto, Mm -hmm. but keto wasn't uh, talked about. Did they
1: call it the anabolic diet? No. I followed one like that, and all I got was fat. I can't remember. (laughs) I may not have followed it right Yeah
0: uh it may i can't remember what the name of it was it wasn't keto um but anyways and i saw a lot of fat loss but no shit i eliminated a macronutrient i also was paying very close attention to the food i was eating all of that stuff so it's not like there was anything special about these diets it's just the fact that i was again habits and behaviors i went from a guy who was eating on a whim like i'm hungry i need to solve this problem or in this to a guy who strategically planned out his day so i could be within these guidelines of this special diet i was trying to do which so just paying attention and moving with purpose created a desirable result Mm -hmm. where again without structure without a plan there was no result that was no no positive result was obtained which is just what we would expect (laughs) there's no there's no surprises there right
1: (laughs) some non-functional eating yeah exactly (laughs) uh good intentions but no result um i did a no uh,
0: intention and negative result is what's going on there
1: the inverse of what you want um i did a i kind of did this raw food diet for a while and it was mostly just like raw vegetables and raw nuts i was eating that sounds brutal not as brutal as the as for the people around me who I can had, imagine, who had yeah. to deal with the, uh, the air quality.
0: Totally. Yeah, especially like the raw vegetable stuff. Yeah. There's not a lot I could do there. Trying to think about the raw vegetables I would even be able to stomach. <laughs> I think it's a very short list.
1: Now, are you much of a vegetable guy? Here's a thing that kind of blows my mind is that there are some people who literally don't eat fruits or vegetables. And I know... It's still shocking, not shocking, but it's still sort of surprising to me how Rachel is kind of like, she says she doesn't really eat a lot of vegetables. I just find it, for me personally, from my perspective, I feel like it's a weird concept to just not eat vegetables.
0: Sure. So the question is, am I much of a vegetable guy? Yes, for sure. But it's a short list. Right. So there's no, like, again, it's I- all
1: okra every day.
0: I don't even know what okra is. It's so that's gross. not a good sign. Don't
1: even, don't even bother. <laughs>
0: um, I, I try to be diverse, but even within that diversity, it's small. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll do spinach in my shakes, my, my blended shakes. I, I do a lot of broccoli. I, I've liked broccoli ever since I was a kid. It's not because broccoli's this whatever it might be in bodybuilding, it's just I personally enjoy cooked broccoli. Love Brussels sprouts, love asparagus, Mm -hmm. love zucchini, a lot of those green things, cauliflower. Um, So I guess there is some diversity there. Again, onions and garlic, although not eaten as often or frequently, enjoy those a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not a big salad guy. Yeah. Although I like the idea of it and I do. (laughs) I have have a goal. One of my life goals is to be a guy that... enjoy salads
1: hey, you don't like salad you just like the idea of salad
0: <laughs> it's very true i do i i i also like the idea of being a guy that goes to yoga <laughs> twice a week but we're not there what, yet either, what's,
1: so what's salad other than just like a bunch of vegetables on a plate
0: totally i one day you'll the see, moment it
1: becomes salad is when you put salad dressing you're, uh, you're on it. t- otherwise you're it's just vegetables see a
0: new adam soon he's gonna go to yoga twice a week and eat salads he's gonna be great you're gonna love him
1: well i can already you know coffee's a plant so you're you're yeah you're yeah, one step there.
0: For sure. Shout out Tim Hortons.
1: Um, <laughs> I try to get pretty creative with the salads. Uh, and I have a few different salad recipes. <coughs> like there's this one... Share quino- Well, there's this quinoa crunch one that I do oh, where... Oh, now it's
0: quinoa. Now we're not eating.
1: Well, there's there's quinoa in it, but it's got... I put a bunch of snap peas in there and um, and uh, I think uh, bell peppers and stuff like that. So it's it's got a lot of funky stuff going on. And I think something that's important is... Um, If you're going to have, say, so a typical salad, people are going to throw lettuce in there, maybe some tomato, maybe some cucumber, maybe some onions, and then throw their salad dressing on, maybe some olives or pickles or something. And so we have an idea of what that looks like and what its components are. And then the quinoa crunch one has like none of those ingredients. And I think that's really important because even though it's a salad, it has that much more uh, variety and variability there. And then I have the seaweed salad that I make, which is Um, cucumber and seaweed, the seaweed I use is wakame or dulse, depending on what you want to call it. You just rehydrate it. It rehydrates like in a, like in a minute and, uh, and then you just drain it a little bit, throw in some julienne or sliced, uh, or, um, like spiralized cucumbers, uh, throw a splash of, uh, roasted sesame oil, a little bit of mirin or, uh, rice vinegar, um, usually the recipe calls for like a teaspoon or so of sugars, give a little bit of sweetness and then a splash of soy sauce for that, uh, saltiness. And it's got that much different of a flavor profile and it's that much more, uh, also texturally different from totally. any of the other salads. Totally. So what? I try to always rotate those.
0: Yeah. What I love about that the salad, like in my mind, I'm picturing this. Well, for one, I don't love anything about that salad. It sounds absolutely horrible. <laughs> but what I again, what I like about the, the idea I ideas. like about the salads is you have this quite a large bowl. Very There's a lot of volume to these salads. So you get this big bowl of food that you see. Mm-hmm. You see, you're like, that's a big salad. And it takes a lot of time to absolutely. eat that. So I'm eating this salad. Am I ever going to finish the salad? Oh, man, there's so much food. And you're not getting the high or the dopamine kick you mm. would from like, say, a white bread. I know. My
1: salads are pretty good.
0: Well, that's awesome. So there you go. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong there again, right? But the, like...
1: The secret is you got to throw that maple bacon clubhouse seasoning see, on there. See, there you go.
0: So again, you're, you're spending 15, 20 minutes, half an hour just trying to eat this salad and you're loving it. So wow, isn't that awesome? And the fact that it is quite a lot of food. So Volumes. now that volume is occupying space in your stomach... And we're talking about maybe 200 to 300 calories. So yeah. you've eaten, a, you've physically eaten a large meal that is now occupying space in your stomach on a psychological and physical uh, level. You have you know what I mean? That's going to yeah. sustain you. And you're not, because one of the things about dieting that I've always found difficult and obviously difficult for all of us is you don't want to feel deprived. You don't want to feel like you're starving yourself because it's, it's but, just
1: – I think it's also important to recognize that you will probably feel that way at some point. You got to. Because people always chase that that magical rabbit of the diet where you never feel hungry and it doesn't exist.
0: That's so true for sure. So
1: as long as you can accept that. But absolutely, there are strategies that you can and should use intelligently to mitigate that.
0: Totally. I mean I've been as sh- – don't want to say as shredded as a person can get – but I've been shredded. Damn close. I've been, you know, uh, again on on a bodybuilding stages I've been on. I don't think I've ever been, uh, except at nationals. But uh,
1: well, when you can bounce a quarter off those glutes,
0: I've been conditioned, and I'm even in those most like super low body fat states. I'm not going to bed with my stomach where you can hear my stomach growling. I'm not holding my stomach. I'm so hungry. You know what I mean? Like, so it's not like, and maybe that was just because I had these goals that just made everything else disappear. Um, That's really important. Yeah. And on really spacing out the food. Like, so when I was going to bed, you know, I just ate an hour and a half ago. Like yeah. there is food in my stomach. Um, But it's quite an interesting thing. I don't even know how we got on this this deep into the topic of dieting. It's quite crazy. We're
1: bouncing around. Um, I was going to build on one of the things that we were talking about, and that's completely
0: vanished. Well, you're waiting for that to come back, I'd like to circle back to this whole concept of, again, talking about four modalities of training for people where you're either going to wing it at the gym on your own.
1: That's a, that's a big tangent we, we went on. That's where we started. We ended up
0: over here. We traveled. Okay,
1: we're going back to the first quarter of the hour of this uh, two-hour podcast.
0: Yeah, so we're back. Um, but anyways, we, we've kind of talked about group fitness and winging it on your own, and we were going to kind of get into the two things that I think most people should be looking at, and that is working with a coach, whether... Working with a coach, period, whether you're doing that through personal training or kind of that pro online. Again, I hate this because it doesn't matter if it's online or not. You're just looking for structured programming and periodization delivered in whatever method. Obviously, it's going to be online (laughs) rather than a piece of paper delivered you into the mail because it's 2020. So those two things are awesome. I think if you're brand new to fitness and you're a super beginner, you got to... If you can budget it, make the personal training thing happen because, again, you can have a program, but if you can't execute that program to at least 75 to 80% of what it was, how it was intended to be executed, it's worthless to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you're going to squat poorly, bet, like press poorly, you're probably going to do more harm than good. So probably best to initially start with some movement coaching through a personal trainer, kinesiologist, whatever. Make sure that, you know, your coach has, make sure it's not someone who's just selling you at a big box gym. Try to find out other clients they've worked with. Check them out online. Get some references. Know who you're working with because it's a big decision. Um, Ideally, you're going to partner with this person for a long period of time, which, by the way, isn't fucking 90 days. It's not a ninety day fix. It's not a three. You
1: actually managed to get ninety days out of people.
0: I get years out of people for sure. <laughs> for the most part, I mean, maybe maybe I just did forget about the short term people. Like r- maybe I'm really good at just see you later. But yeah, <laughs> if I'm big on it, like w- six months minimum. Like th- we're talking about changing your body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a slow process, mm-hmm. right?
1: We but, need that but time, of, but of course, the media would have you think otherwise.
0: Oh my God, that's
1: that's a constant battle that we always fix. come up against.
0: Yeah, two, yeah, ten pounds in ten days. You know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Bowflex, three days a week, twenty minutes. Bowflex body. We got this.
1: One thing I like to tell some people when it needs to be said is that. And you may actually experience this from time to time, too. So let's say when there's a period where you're in a, a state of body composition where you, you feel better about yourself than you feel right right now, for example, um, and you get a new client coming in and they think that you've looked this way your entire life. It's like, oh, it must come so easy to you and all this bullshit when they don't understand that there's a person behind the body and that you have a history of dealing with things like body image and stuff like that as well that that I do. But uh, I've certainly had those clients who have who just think that I've always looked a certain way. And I've never had to struggle with body weight. I'm losing my train of thought again. (laughs) So um, those people who I so sometimes what I will say to them, when it needs to be said, is that Cause let's say we've been working for with this person for like maybe a month or something like that. And it's, and you can tell it's not clicking with them cause they always want that quick fix and it's not clicking with them that this is a process that is going to, you're on a journey and this needs to become part of your lifestyle. If you actually care about these things that we're talking about, like losing some weight, becoming healthier, body composition, this or that. And so what I'd like to tell them is that, you know, it took me like about four years To go from a BMI of 36 to whatever I am now. So to go to class two obesity to whatever I am now. Like four years of going to the weight room, playing high school sports, getting more into nutrition. And I've never had to deal with, at least to that degree, that kind of um, poor uh, body weight, poor health. I've never had to deal with that. Ever since then. And that was, you know, I I made, I finished my major body uh, transformation in about like 2004, 2005. It's now 2020. I've never been back to that body weight. I've never been anywhere close to it. Sure. So, but it took me four years to really build that resilient foundation. And this person wants to try to achieve that in six months or less, usually less, and And they're not even thinking about those next fifteen years,
0: totally, so you and I are opposites in that uh, you're a guy that did it right. I am a guy you you slowly <laughs> changed your habits and behaviors over four years and now have achieved uh, um, over fifteen years sustained results
1: and the interesting thing about that was when i when i in the period that I lost the weight versus the period that i've kept it off. I never thought about weight loss. Sure. At least nowhere near to the degree that I do now. I was thinking about my sports, and uh, I was thinking about I was thinking about girls, and so in the sense that was all I really cared about body weight wise sure. and body image wise. Um, Guys
0: in their twenties. I mean, let's be real here. <laughs> right.
1: But in the way that people sort of obsess about body weight and body image that we tend to think about, that was not my issue then. I did not obsess about that. I I experienced my uh, my share of teasing and stuff like that, and it bothered me, obviously. But I didn't obsess about my body weight or my body image. I was more just really excited about playing football, uh, wrestling, getting better at that through um, getting quicker, getting faster, getting stronger. And like we talked about earlier, that whole... You know, habits and behaviors, those steps that lead you to the outcome rather than the outcome itself. I focused on the process and what I got was the outcome, and I didn't have to worry about that for the next 15 years.
0: 100%. So, my experience is very much the opposite, where I mean, I'm saying here, saying it's not a 90 day fix and yelling into this microphone. And to be quite transparent, for me, it was. I did the 90 day program. I lost 50 or sorry 47 pounds in 90 days. Crazy results like it was nuts. Um, and within that time, again it was the it was all the habits and behaviors. It wasn't focusing on the results. I changed everything of I went hardcore, changed everything about my diet, started exercising on this six day a week program. Again, I don't recommend that people do this. this was extreme. Um, and I did achieve these insane ninety-day results, but then, like, uh, like you say, you lost the weight and you have sustained that for fifteen years. I've been all the way up to two hundred pounds as, and all the way down to one thirty-five. This is going back to when I was nineteen, and I've gone like in between, back and forth, good eight, nine, ten times. You know, I'll bodybuild, I'll step on stage, super lean. Three months later I'm 40 pounds heavier. So we're Mm -hmm. talking major fluctuations. So it's kind of the opposite approach of you, where you slowly changed your habits and behaviors over time, and you've achieved what we all should strive for, and that's sustainability. Where I did drastic changes, followed more not things not a sustainable plans, but quick quick kind of chunked out things like hey we're doing a bodybuilding show here's very strict guidelines that there's mm. no way you're going to be able to maintain for the rest of your life yeah but
1: the, for- the the focus in that sense was specific and focused and different from me who was just like i didn't have goals that relied on my body weight to change per se if that makes sense totally so uh, it's almost like when you put on weight, it was it was still sort of like a focused putting on of weight, right? That's your bulk and cut, bulk and cut.
0: Sure. I don't think there's ever much thought put in. Well, at least for me, it doesn't need the amount of here's, attention and discipline. Here's
1: the strategy. I want you to eat four jars of peanut butter. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly, right? There's It's not hard. At least, I mean, there are the guys out there, trust me. I've worked with, uh, I know some females out there that struggle with it. And I think there's a couple of males, too, where, oh, I just can't put on weight. I just can't put on weight. It's very hard for me to understand that. Like, are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) I've got no problem putting on weight. (laughs) To my advantage, I also don't have uh, any sort of physical problems taking it off. Mm. Maybe there's a little bit of, like, psychological difficulties with losing weight for me, but I mean, if I if I watch my nutrition and even just eat all my meals from home and make sure I get a little bit of cardio activity throughout the week, if, even if that's just walking, the weight's coming off yeah. quite easily, actually.
1: From what I've learned, it seems genetically there are those who can both put weight on and take it off easily. There are those who can put weight on easily but have a hard time taking it off. And then those who have an easy time taking it off but put it on more difficultly and so there's there can be resistance one way or the other there can be resistance both ways or can there there can be no resistance one way or the other for sure it seems.
0: and that's well documented between the ectomorphs mesomorphs yeah. and all,
1: um, of, all of them and and even within the individual itself um even if we're talking just temporally you know one day of overshooting calories even to a significant degree um, often will just re- result in an increased oxidation of those substrates and won't really impact your body weight. You'll just, for some people, when they overeat, their activity or their non-exercise activity just kind of jumps right up and they start moving around the house more. They start doing some chores. They 100%. start just moving around. And 100%. then, and then there's that other group of people who are probably the people who are more predisposed to obesity. Uh, and things like that, who that doesn't really happen for. And that's something that's been observed where you bump up their calories and they, their activity d- d- doesn't increase. Right. And, what, and the consequence of that is because they're not burning off those extra calories, they deposit it and those are the people who are predisposed to obesity. For
0: sure. It's so interesting seeing that. Uh, again, with, with one of my athletes, we had her kind of on the same kind of macros throughout a long period of time. We kind of saw that run its course of positive results. So that's when we switched to a more, okay, we're going to drop your calories Monday to Friday, but we are going to give you a spike on the Saturday. Actually, the net macros and calories were the same. Mm -hmm. Now we're just delivering them in this different format. And man, it's crazy, the positive results. I love Lane Norton. Uh, I think he's great, for those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Lane Norton there. He's a fantastic powerlifter, bodybuilder, and coach, uh, and also researcher. But he, he, like, he might hear a guy like me say that and say, No, 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 that's not what the research shows. That's not what the science shows. I'm telling you, I'm here doing it. She's eating the same food. And although this might be a temporary thing, man, like we went from no weight loss to delivering the same calories in this new way, to now she's losing two pounds a week for mm-hmm. two to, for two consecutive weeks, accumulating in a four-pound weight loss at a very small girl, like almost too much, mm-hmm. right? So it is interesting when we have this research that says that, and those of us who work with athletes and coaches, we see weird things happen.
1: Well, I think Lane would actually agree with you, to be honest, just based on... Um, a lot of the stuff that he's, and he's a well-rounded coach, but, um, even some things he said in the past where it's like, if he's having trouble with a certain client, just throw in a couple of sets of high intensity and just like not magic, but, uh, it's like that will get their fat loss restarted again. Um, I think the, the, the piece of the puzzle that we're starting to veer into with this particular uh, topic is we're getting into that hormonal discussion where it's like the hormones can start to really affect what's happening with the nutrient partitioning. And sometimes a something like a really massive influx of food can change the um, the effect of those hormones, not the effect of those hormones, but uh, the dynamic of those hormones. So uh, when we talk about uh, like a refeed, for example, um, if we're looking at uh, hormones as biomarkers for Um, a stagnation in weight loss or a stagnation in in metabolic processes, when we do a refeed of like one day, it tends not to really have any impact on the hormones. But if we extend that to two days or even a week, then that starts to bring those hormones back into a normal uh, physiological range. Right.
0: And when we say hormones, are we specifically... Putting an eye on, say, gremlin leptin kind of?
1: Absolutely. The hunger hormones, testosterone even. Yep. Okay. Um. So, yeah, sometime, and this is, I guess we should frame this in the context of like fairly deep into the cut where we are seeing that suppression of hormones, For which sure. is something like upwards <clears throat> of 70% has been documented. And
0: I can tell you right now, I've, I felt it. The testosterone specifically just plummet,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but anyway, sorry.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's sometimes you got to think outside the box and, and throw one of those Hail Marys and just do something like completely whacked out. And this is one of those funny instances where the science sort of catches up to the bro science where it's like, you know, I'm going to do this crazy refeed day to shock the body and confuse it. And it's like, well, that is sort of kind of what happens.
0: Have you ever heard of guys do it? Guys or girls doing the four hour windows where they'll diet all week. And then they'll have a four hour oh, right, window right, right. on a Sunday where they can eat whatever they want. Right, right, right. And they'll go ham. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I used to have a bodybuilder friend whose coach had this this in place. And this guy's going to Dairy Queen. Well, he's eating Dairy Queen. He's in the drive thru at McDonald's. Like, we're talking like obnoxious. <laughs> this guy in particular has some of the most advanced just superior genetics I've ever seen. And he got so conditioned. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just wild to know that this is what that worked for
1: him. I would imagine that gene expression plays a role in that as well. Um, where, cause gene expression is, is, is like, there's like an epigenetic thing that's happening where by what that means basically is that environmental conditions can, uh, affect how your genes are expressed phenotypically, so how y- how they exhibit themselves. So something like how people, for example, uh, metabolize caffeine differently. You can have different uh, allele types, different genes that, uh, or, or different variants of the gene that metabolizes or is responsible for how you metabolize caffeine uh, can result in people who respond very heavily to caffeine ingestion and those people who hardly respond to caffeine ingestion. Um, And depending on what sort of environment you're creating, if you ingest caffeine all the time, if you don't ingest caffeine, um, there can be like this tolerance thing that happens. But when you create that environment of this really intensive weight loss, fat loss, calorie deficit thing, I would imagine that um, gene expression can change a little bit, and then when you introduce that influx of calories, then you get that again that difference in gene expression, which can potentially um, accelerate the weight loss again
0: for sure yes for sure
1: and that, and that 's really a, a sort of a burgeoning area of uh, research right now, which we which you know we know a little bit about, but not a lot about, especially when it comes to looking at. Uh, sports science, for example, because ju- that field in and of itself is starting, sort of starting to just blossom and it hasn't really permeated out into sports science, into uh, obesity, into other health clinical aspects. So we're still – that's still something that's up and coming. It's kind of cool.
0: For sure, for sure. Uh, so there is a uh... – there's a couple of things I want to. I know that this podcast is probably getting on in time. I have time. no.
1: There's no clock in here. Yeah, so. <laughs> I have
0: no idea. Uh, it feels like we just getting started. There's so many things that I would like to get to.
1: We're at an hour and a half.
0: Okay. Awesome. So I would like to just kind of clear up the the idea that I almost started with in the beginning about again going back to hey you're a person who's training or thinking about training. What's the best approach? We've kind of talked about how. Group fitness, although it is an option, it might not be the best. Just going to the gym on your own can be quite frustrating and maybe not the most efficient way to get the best return on your time and effort investment. And then taking a look at the two – the the probably what I would say is the mandatory option, which is work with a coach – And then how you're going to go about that, whether it's through personal training or through a more structured uh, coaching kind of system through maybe an online base. And how you would approach that. So if you're new, definitely get some coaching on your movement. Make that investment. It's going to be one of the greatest investments you can ever do for yourself. And then people just work with coaches you can find some really, really great coaches and it's not going to break the bank to work with a lot of these people. You know, some of these coaches who are, watch the pricing too, like be realistic about what you can afford. I know there's some very, very high priced coaches that are delivering not elite services. So again, interview a few, interview three or four, or if you've got a friend who's, who's who, who is edified this coach and... You know, they just sound like the bee's knees. Maybe you can just go ahead and start working with them. And
1: even find some second opinions. Like totally. we work in the same industry, but uh, we're essentially competing comp- – uh, not companies, but uh, you-, you get what I mean. For so, sure. But, I don't think my if,
0: my clients would go to you and I don't think right. your clients would go to me. Because
1: you know? we offer – we specialize in sort of different areas. Um, but if someone asks me about someone else who works in the industry, if I know them, I'm not going to be like – Oh, don't go to them just because they. I want their clients for sure. It's I much prefer to build the network because uh, there's so much that you can learn from other people in the industry anyway. But I th- I'm a firm believer that expanding your network and um, befriending other people in the industry is really going to come back and, and give you some good, good karma.
0: I totally agreed. Totally agreed. And also, it comes back to from a coach's standpoint. You don't want to be a person who needs to constantly be selling your clients on you yeah. and your services. I thought that it was really important for me to be a bodybuilder and a power lifter and to do well in those things in order for me to show up as a coach and personal trainer. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter as much as I thought it would. I there, It actually almost doesn't matter at all for 80% of the clients that I work with. Some of them don't even know that I've done those things. Or if they do know, they don't know anything about those sports, so it really doesn't matter to them anyways. Uh, But there again, it was important for... I'm going to go off on a tangent. I I just want to say, please... That's all right, we haven't done that yet. Yeah, exactly. Believe me, as someone who's been doing this for a very long time, if your goal is longevity, results you know, getting the best out of the time that you're investing, do so alongside with a professional. Again, I said this in a previous conversation with Solly, our last podcast, I don't care if it's, you know, your physical fitness, your financial goals, your business goals, find a mentor, find some accountability, find some education and work alongside, work with teams, you know, don't do it all on your own. I'm going to tell you, your ceiling's way higher when you're bringing in other professionals to work with you. So please make the investment and find someone to work with. Bam. That's all. That's it. That's why I'm here today.
1: All right. <laughs> well, you heard it from the man himself, Adam McKay. And uh, we're going to wrap this one up here, lest we go off on any more tangents and make this a two-hour podcast.
0: That sounds good, but we should do another one soon because you've got a lot coming up changing for you in the next week, and I really do want to talk about that, so okay. maybe we well, should do another one.
1: Why don't we just plan for Sunday? I'm down. Boom. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening, and uh, stay tuned for the next one. Peace. Peace.
0: Peace.